listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 14 All Manner of Pain Three Days Left By ten bells the next morning, the princess had still not risen from her slumber, and Oberon was pacing the floor, which is hard to do when stooping as well. Rob, can I just go alone? How is it safer having her with us? Oh no, I know how these things work. If we go to check on your brother, that's when Mortimer betrays us and Frog marches Gwendolyn back to the palace to claim the full reward. I'm heartbroken that you still don't trust me. Or that's when the knives who've been watching this house... Nobody knows we're here. Or they see one of us randomly exiting the building. That's when they strike. I want to be together when that inevitably happens. You're rather agitated, Mr Locksley, if that is indeed your real name. You know it's not. The bedroom door opened and Viola stood there, fully dressed and glaring at them. She's up. At last, get her ready to go. Gwendolyn's voice drifted through from inside the bedroom. Tea, Viola. Earl Grey, hot. Yes, your highness. And for breakfast I shall have cake. Cake, please, Viola. Yes, your highness. And crumpets. I want... Two crumpets with honey and scrambled eggs. Yes, your highness. No black pudding. No, your highness. Quail's eggs or pheasant? Oh, pheasant sounds nice. I'm being sarcastic. Please get up. We're all waiting to go and check on Oberon's brother. A princess must have her breakfast, and I shall see London in my own time. I'm going. There may be trouble out there. I'll go. What? I'll go with him. Why? Because I don't want to wait on her hand and foot this morning. In fact... I need a bit of a break from this place. She locked eyes with Robin. Guard her. Don't let her leave the house. We'll be back in a jiffy. You're in charge. As she said the words, she glanced at Mortimer, whose eyes narrowed. She and the Arca left through the front door, not speaking to one another. Pheasant eggs. (sighs) Do you have any? Of course not. She can have chicken eggs or she can go out and catch a bloody pheasant. Oberon and Viola approached the Hogwell Smoats timber mill, still ensconced in awkward silence. Over the sound of saw blades and heavy loading mechanisms, the breeze was fretted with screams and roars. The Ucker broke into a run and the Duarte was forced to sprint after him, readying sleep spells whilst maintaining their disguises, which was akin to simultaneously patting one's head, rubbing one's tummy, and turning the pages of a book with one's toes. She realised as they entered the mill that the workers would need to be able to recognise her companion, so his glamour melted away as they passed into the workyard. They entered a scene of devastation. An Arca who looked not dissimilar to Oberon, only larger with darker green skin, was roaring at the frightened humans, Duarte and Arca around him. Two of his own kind appeared to be attempting to flank him and grab his arms. A human lay still and face down on the ground with blood trickling from his forehead. Nobody could reach him without coming within grabbing distance of the disturbed Ucker. 
Oberon gasped as he took all of this in and charged forwards, his hands up. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, buddy. Look, Ajax, your friend Evans is hurt. We have to help him. Ajax clutched at his head and stepped backwards, his eyes closed, panting hard. We have to put it out of his misery. No, I've got this. I'll take him away from here. If Evans is dead, he's got to face the hangman. Law of England, innit? He's not dead. Come on, Evans, get your ass up. The human foreman stirred as Oberon, never taking his eyes from his brother, gently pulled him upright and moved in between to shield him. Viola, who was standing at the periphery, twinkled her fingers in a reverse sleep spell. Evans' eyes opened wide. He tasted mint and he gasped. <laughs> Of here now. It's what I'm doing. <coughs> the terrified Akka's hands were now trembling over his face. Oberon approached and leaned forward to gently touch his shoulder, and Ajax reacted like a rocket, grabbing his brother's throat and roaring. <coughs> Viola stepped forward and held her breath as she sent out the reversal of a berserk spell. Oberon, far from fighting back, gently stroked the enormous green arm. With his free hand, he fished about desperately in his knapsack until he found what he was searching for, raising an object up to his brother's field of vision and tilting it in the light. It was a lovingly crafted carving of a Kuvar's dog. It's okay. It's fixed. We're going home together, buddy, you and I. Ajax felt the effects of the spell and his flared, fierce glare softened with sudden concern. <sighs> Oberon sensed the magic in the air, a now increasingly familiar sense of taste, though no food had touched his tongue. This one was licorice. But he recalled darkness tasting of boot polish, sleep tasting of lavender, and confuse of milk and ground black pepper. His gaze moved to Viola, and for the first time she smiled at him reassuringly. As Ajax released him, and nodded sadly, confused but amiable, there was a tiny shift in the immense weight on Oberon's shoulders. Gently, indicating exactly what he was going to do, he placed a palm in the small of his brother's back, and handing him the dog to hold, he led him from the factory to the lodging. Behind them, the stunned workers muttered with fear and loathing in their eyes. Viola followed in their tracks, a stone in her gut. She felt a strange mix of wretched regret and a glow of kindness. At the empty lodging house, lined with bunks of three different sizes but uniform utilitarianism, Ajax found his trunk with his belongings. Before they left, he pulled from under his mattress a length of dark mahogany. It appeared to be beautifully sculpted furniture until Viola realized what she was looking at. Ajax handed the artifact to Oberon. Brother. It was a war club, carved with graceful, strong, sure, curved lines. Oberon took it and turned it over in his hands, lost for words. It's your best work yet, buddy. I'll be keeping this with me from now on. It's magnificent. Ajax grinned a little bashfully and glanced at Viola. Oberon stared at her too and found himself returning that smile from earlier. But now, 
We gotta beat it. You'll have to forfeit your last week's pay. I have to take you to stay with Scarlet until we can figure out a good home for the two of us. Violet, they're probably going to be looking for for Akka on the street. Can you mask us both? I'll make you both very boring humans. You saying I'm interesting? Let's not go, Loopy. That goes double for you, big fella. Ajax nodded, and the two apparent humans and their allegedly dull Duarte companion quietly left the Spartan lodging house of the Hogwell Smokes timber mill. Robin, Gwendolyn and Mortimer were traversing the slums of Whitechapel. I bloody well told them to stay put, but they didn't. No good can come of this. Gwendolyn had dined grudgingly on bacon and hen's eggs, toast and English breakfast tea, and then demanded that Robin show her London. Out of the question. You told me I would have the holiday I want. That's where I want to go and I'm ready now. I'm fine walking her around for you. I once had an old English sheepdog she reminds me of. You're so bloody rude. You're more hairy than she was, of course. You're just as much of a complete bitch. Are you coming, Robin? I promised Viola... But you promised me first. You're the most famous woman in England. Viola's not disguising you right now. I'll wear my fighting disguise. I'll keep my scarf up and my hat on. Nobody will care. You can call me Lady Catherine. Lady Catherine? I used to have an imaginary friend I'd have tea with. Before Viola. I called her Lady Catherine. I remembered her last night. Oh. Ah. Seems like as good an alias as I'll get. It's broad daylight out there. This is madness. But the princess would have none of it. She went to her bedroom and came back in her wool coat, scarf and hat. (sighs) Robin sighed deeply and popped his hood up as Mortimer held the door open, smiling dryly. And now they walked among the impoverished and homeless of London and Gwendolyn's bluster had melted away. The gaunt houses towered over them through crooked cobblestone streets, scattered with filth. The thick, rank air rang with coughing and cries. Light came in grey panels and the cloudy sky beat down through the latticed architecture hanging above. Robin's pace had quickened. His expression and manner was all of a sudden serious, almost businesslike. He bade Gwen and Mortimer wait outside Emerson's pie shop and emerged after a few minutes holding several cast-iron bowls. He made a beeline for an old lady who was sat leaning against a lamppost, her gaze somewhere in the middle distance. She was wrapped in filthy rags and her face was sunken and misshapen. He spoke with her for a minute or two, gave her the pie, which she immediately began to eat then nodded and patted her shoulder as he stood and moved to the staring man slumped in the gutter. His hands were bound and fingers splayed this way and that, injury or palsy having reduced them to shaking uselessness. Robin pulled him into a sitting position and gave him the second pie before moving on to the two children peeking out of a nearby alley, skeletal 
and pale with malnourishment. Their teeth blackened. They got a pie each. Gwen did not hear what was being said, but she saw the slightly wary look on the faces of the destitute and how that melted into relief as they began to eat. It was not an extreme emotion. They were not beaming with joy or clicking their heels. Their lives had not been saved, nor changed permanently. But the worry about where their next meal would be coming from had been answered, and this act of charity seemed to have had some small impact. Soon people had begun approaching Robin to ask about a pie, and in another moment they were all gone. He walked back, wiping gravy from his gloves. I told them to return the bowls to Emerson and they'd get three copper in return. Might pay for a bit of supper too. He was not smiling or swaggering. A familiar look had come into his eye. Unspoken worry. What he did not vouch to the women here... What he would never say was that being so close to those at the very bottom of society actively hurt Robin. His mind filled with the myriad of ways he could help them. And each of these acts that he did not perform was a reason to chastise himself. But conversely, after following through on any of them, feeding someone slipping them the coinage they requested. He was then faced with more hands, more mouths, more sets of despairing eyes looking blankly at him, asking for just a little more, the tiniest hint of satisfaction from an act of kindness was so soon chased away by the swift, miserable assurance that he could never help them all. He could only try his best to do some good. And some good was never enough. In the bitter cold of winter was when this debilitating empathy struck him the hardest. Feeling the icy wind on his skin, he sharply pictured a struggle to stay warm without shelter, stay sane without hope. As hunger gnawed at his weakened frame and sapped his strength, Walking in the poorer streets of London in January was enough to leave him a wreck of a man. Now, beggar children scattered around them. Little outstretched hands filled their vision. A cynical and canny voice woke in Robin, and though his heart was open, he opened his eyes wider and watched their collective pockets for small encroaching fingers. Mortimer, I appear to be without a purse. Could you lend me yours? I only have silvers in mine. And? And they're not worth giving real money to. Straight down the gin shop they'll go. I want to give them something. I want to do something for them. Uh, Lady Catherine, this is just a bitter taste of the poverty that our country is gripped by. You can't achieve anything helping individuals. It's best to ignore them. Here. He handed Gwen a wallet filled with copper and silver. As she walked, Gwendolyn placed a coin in the hand of every child she came across. Every little thank you she heard, every God bless you, Mum, had the dual effect of massaging warmth into her heart and spurring her to cultivate more gratitude. The hands got older as more flocked to the trio, 
and Robin began to get extremely nervous. His wallet was emptied, and soon so was Mortimer's. That's all I have. No, I'm sorry, there's none left. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, miss. Yes, my name is Lady Catherine. We need more money. Don't look at me. I've just seen my next few meals go into the bellies of wastrels. Would you like to do something to feed them directly? Like the pies, but a lot more of them. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Any of you who can get to the Lampwick Kitchens on Old Montague Street, be there at six bells for soup and a bread roll. Tell everyone you know that Lady Catherine is going to feed the poor of London. Christ. As Robin flinched, the implications of this statement rippled through the crowd and the whispering began. He pulled her through the streets and away from the gawking mob to a quieter avenue. Gwendolyn began to feel lightheaded and stopped in a doorway to catch her breath. <sighs> I knew it. She's caught some vile malady off these urchins. Oh, I'm fine. I... Oh. oh my, that's powerful. Oh my. She draped sideways and Robin steadied her. What's wrong? You've gone so pale. It's my head. I have these fits. Might kill me one of these days. The pain of this one, though. I'm seeing spots of light that can't be there. And then there's my old friend, the grey, angry wall of fog closing in. Oh, I need to lie down. You can't lie down here. Then take me to bed. <sighs> take I... me to bed, Robin. Please. We need to get her to a friend of mine. The Thirsty Hog Inn in Fulham. That's miles away. We'll take a cab. I'll send for our things and our horse, but I've got to get her somewhere I know is safe. And honestly, we should have gone there yesterday instead. I'm sorry for not trusting you as a host. That's fine, but I'm coming with you. <sighs> fine. Come on, Lady Catherine. Where are you taking me? We're going to meet my friend Scarlet Wilhelmina, and then you're having a lie down. Oh, good. The trio pitched up at the Thirsty Hog, some twenty minutes before Oberon, Ajax and myself. In that time, Robin quietly let them in the back and passed Scarlet, who had her sleeves rolled up and was sat at the kitchen table, next to a steaming mug of beef tea, poring over her map of London. Her face fell as she caught sight of the unsteady princess. Is that who I think it is? I am. Who are you... I think I is. Blimey. Is she alright? Attack of the vapours. Have you a fainting couch or a chaise longue at your disposal? You can use my room. Where's Oberon? He's visiting his brother and you and I need to talk. Yeah, we do. Who's this? This is Mortimer. The bounty hunter gave a theatrical bow. Charmed to meet you, miss. Scarlet's mouth fell open. She hastily folded up her map. What in the name of Bonaparte's balls is she doing standing in my kitchen? I know, I know, my head will be crushed for this. I deserve it. But think of her as an accomplice. A co-conspirator. You two talk. I'll get this one her nap. What's that smell? Oxtail soup. It's lovely. Thank you. I'll make you some. Have you got a few more oxtails back there? I need to get some super range for the lampwick. For how many? Oh, about a hundred. 
Have fun, I'll be down in a bit. I'm gonna pulverize your bones. With good reason. And I think we might have our shipping contract. As Robin hauled Gwendolyn up the narrow, winding wooden staircase, she clung to him and tried to make her feet work properly. Eventually, they reached the bedroom, and she sank down into Scarlet's bed, which smelled of Scarlet's perfume, but was so comfortable and spacious. Robin made sure she was properly positioned and turned to go. She still had hold of his hand and laced her fingers together. You're kind to me. To everyone. I'm not that kind. I'm just courteous. There's a difference. But you, you know all this. I, I mean... Robin. Gwen gently drew him closer, bending him towards her. You can go, if you like. She slowly let go of his hand. Will you be all right? I'll be fine. I'm a big, tough girl. He regarded her for a moment, unable to pull away. The princess reached up and laid her fingertips on the back of his head, gently pulling Robin down into a kiss. A dozen things came into Robin's head as the kiss ended. There were flip remarks he could try to make, to hide his trembling and drown out the beating of his heart. There were courtesies and professional notifications regarding bringing her soup and cold water and leaving her to sleep that would put him back to the appropriate distance. There were words dancing around that might express how he was actually feeling. How this pull on his being had never felt as strong. Instead, he simply sat, and they looked at one another in silence, stretching out the moment as long as they possibly could, until merciless reality would intervene. Before that could happen, Gwendolyn sat up, and this time Robin pulled her towards him and into a second kiss, his fingers running through her hair as they clutched one another closely. (sighs) The pounding pain in Gwendolyn's head intensified and threatened to overwhelm her senses. But right now, she didn't care. She simply knew that she loved him, and that this rush of fierce feeling, as though all was finally right in the world, was entirely worth the agony. Thank you. 
You have been listening to The Princess Thieves, written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee. Viola, performed by Loretta Saylor. Robin, performed by Alex Shaw. Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle. Scarlet and Mortimer, performed by Sharon Shaw. The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. Ajax, performed by Alistair Stewart. Evans, performed by Pascal Dooley. Millworkers, performed by James Batchelor and Matt Ramsey. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanoff of Shockwave Sound. Heavy Heart, Long Note 3, Teller of Tales, Perspectives, Touching Moment, and Anne Gevin, composed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio and ASMR Rooms. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. If you'd like your name up there, you can support us for $15 a month, which gets you all the previous bonuses for the $3 to $10 supporters, including two-day early access to all podcasts, dozens of hours of backstage bonus material, including Digital Cowboys episodes and Behind the White Scarves, the complete audiobooks in uninterrupted MP3 form, and the New Century Multiverse novels in ebook form. And on top of all that, you also get the satisfaction of knowing that you are seriously contributing towards the production of one of the better movie podcasts and an audio drama series unlike any other. That's not bad for the price of a DVD every month. <laughs>